and the following underwriters. The Mountain Eagle, the community newspaper and website serving the Catskills region, covering Delaware, Schoharie, Green, and northern Ulster counties, with local reporting, regional events, school sports, letters, and features. All in the Mountain Eagle. Peek-a-Moose Restaurant on State Route 28 in Big Indian with farm-to-table cuisine Thursday through Monday. Indoor dining from 4 to 9 p.m. Take out till 10. Peekamoose.com or 845-254-6500. 845-254-6500. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center in Walton. Open 730 to 230 Tuesday through Saturday for waste disposal and recycling. In service to make a difference by reducing pollution in Delaware County. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center, State Route 10 in Walton, 607-832-5800. Or click the Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center link at WIOXradio.org. You're tuned to WIOX Roxbury, your live and local soundtrack for fall adventures. When you... Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOX.org on computers or smartphones. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic tonight with Zara and Mike. How's it going, Mike? Good, good. This is your maiden voyage, and so far, it's good. Yeah, I know. All the guys, uh, the John, Ryan, and Zane, who are normally on the radio show, Ryan, who normally hosts it, they're away in Long Island this week, so they're doing a um, wildland firefighter training. So. Yeah, I think that's great. 
Yeah, I think it's great. And I know too. in our talking, you've already had that. Right? Yes. So I am about two years ago. I graduated from the Ranger School, so that was included in the Ranger School program. Um, so I already have that training, and so they're gonna they're gonna have that when they come back. So good. Yeah. Just one more thing that CFA can do. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I'm. I think either it'll just inform what we're already doing, or maybe we'll end up. Uh, you know, who knows, having a program based on yeah. it or something of that Yeah, name. I'm excited about it. Just the knowledge of wildland fires is important. Yeah, I think so, too. So, and yeah. especially now, um, yep. people are wondering. So what's going on? Have you been in the forest lately? Or? Uh, I've been in and out, yeah. Um, actually, I'm doing some minor repairs. Well, they're not minor, major repairs to my cabin. Mm-hmm. And got that done yesterday. And there's a Casco Forest Association three-day module coming up at my place, and we're going to learn how to build a cabin. Right, yeah. And I'm getting ready for that. So I've been busy. Yeah, for sure. What about, uh, didn't you mention you were getting some some sapwood ready, oh, some sugar wood? <laughs> yeah, my maple sugar wood is, some of it's still growing, unfortunately. Oh, uh, okay, but yeah. there's enough of it that was cut down that hopefully I'll have it ready. Generally, if I have my wood cut, with the species that I use in October, mm-hmm. it's ready for February. Yeah. It dries really good. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, this week, while everybody's away, I'm doing some ginseng plantings. We had a radio show maybe, I don't know, a month or so ago about wild simulated ginseng cultivation. So that's what I'm doing this week. Pretty exciting. Our first round of uh, landowners participating. So, yeah. Good. And how long before you know if there's results? Will show in the spring, or so? Yeah, we should expect germination in the spring. Um, maybe not a hundred, or definitely not a hundred percent. There's definitely going to be seeds in there that are non-viable for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that just happens in every batch of seeds that you get. But um, occasionally, a small percentage of seeds will um, not germinate until maybe two seasons after they oh, were planted. Okay. So, hmm. um, but most should germinate in the spring. Yeah, so we should hmm. see results. Pretty soon, although, of course, the plants won't mature for maybe a decade or so. Oh, wow. It so. takes that long. Yeah. yeah. I don't know much about that, so I, that's why I'm asking you questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we talked about that maybe a month ago, as I mentioned. So tonight's topic is a backyard maple sugar, uh, maple syrup production. And that's another uh, part of the forest farming program at the Catskill Forest Association. So um, I have Mike on tonight. Um Mike knows a lot about backyard maple syrup production because he's been doing it for years. Yep, long yeah. time. Right. Since probably college. Yeah, so yeah. you have a lot of wisdom to offer. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to help out. And this is part of agroforestry. So you're farming yeah, the woods. So, so most, this is something we also touched on in previous shows but um just to recap agroforestry is um well it encompasses many things um but a very very simple definition is combining livestock and or traditional crops with trees in some way so forest farming um, would be cultivating non-timber forest products under a forest canopy and maple syrup would qualify as a non-timber forest product so you know maple sugaring has been happening for many 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 years um and it's not until recently in this region at least that 
we would consider it part of forest farming, but it is a forest product. Yeah, um, that's oh, well known. So, yeah. um, so that's why it's included in the forest farming program. And um, it may seem early to talk about maple season since uh, that's usually I don't know mid February or so. But uh, just as you mentioned, you said you like to get your your sugaring wood or sap wood. Uh, the wood you're going to use to uh, burn to evaporate your sap into syrup ready uh, yeah. in the fall. Yeah, and uh, I know last spring I'm the president of the Catskill Forest Board. I did a, a president's message in the newsletter about getting ready for making maple syrup. And this was after the season was going. It was the March issue. Mm-hmm. But it's never too early to start. You've got a, a lot of equipment to accumulate and you've got to get firewood that's dry enough to burn hot and fast right yeah so yeah so it's it's not too early right exactly and um i'm specifically thinking about you know you're you're a lifelong resident of the catskills but um a lot of the landowners that participate uh in the catskill force association are new landowners and they may not know even how to identify their trees and so um i think it's a good idea to yeah, it's, it's never too early to start preparing and start developing no. the skills you need. And uh, uh, it doesn't need to be complicated, hence the backyard scale right. um, emphasis. So um, I think the first thing, as I just mentioned, would probably be knowing how to identify maple trees, specifically a sugar maple tree. Um, yep. Yeah. If you don't know if you have sugar maples, you'd don't know if you can make maple syrup right. <laughs> in a nutshell. Well, you know? I've got, uh, I mean, I was at a, a landowner's property last season during, maybe at the tail end of sugaring season, and um, we hadn't gone into his forest yet. We were just kind of chatting, and he said, you know, I tried to tap a tree this year just to see, and uh, nothing happened. I didn't get any sap. Um, I don't know if I didn't, you know, go deep enough yeah. or what, what happened. And I was like, okay, well, let's go. He still had it in the tree. So <laughs> I said, well, let's take a look and maybe I can tell you. And as we're approaching the tree, it immediately becomes clear what's wrong. And it's because he tapped an ash tree. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> so um, you're not going to get a sap flow uh, from an ash tree, at least not uh, during the, the maple sugaring season. I don't know if anybody's tried. Um but ash is not one I've heard no, of. I've heard of I. birch. Actually, I made some birch syrup for yes. a while. And sycamore and uh, I think walnut syrup. That's I think more so. in the Midwest. Yeah. But, yeah. I've also seen, um, which you have to clarify sometimes because at the farmer's market, I've seen hickory syrup. But yeah. um, when I ask the vendor, they really mean that they've infused hickory flavor or hickory smoke um, from the wood into the maple syrup oh, okay. or into like a sugar syrup, yeah. something like that. So Yeah, I think there's something with hickory where it, it is like an essence yeah. from the bark, I think. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's what it is. Yeah. I've never tried that. Yeah. Um, I know John has tried sycamore. He said it was yeah. maybe tricky, probably wouldn't do it again, uh, but that's something you could try. And Cornell does birch syrup. So, uh, But anyway, you do need to... Uh, If you're going to make maple syrup, you need a maple. So um, the preference is for sugar maple over red maple. These are the two types of maple that you'd find in our forests around here. Um, A few others, but those are the main ones. And um, and that's because sugar maple tends to have a higher sugar content in the sap. So it's more valuable to 
tap that tree because you're going to have to spend less time boiling the sap down into syrup. Yeah, and there's a noticeable difference. Yes. Between <laughs> red and sugar maple. Mm-hmm. Very noticeable. Yeah. Yeah, so I think some operations are even dedicated sugar maple. Uh, like, they only tap sugar maple. They yeah. don't tap red maple, so. I really, I try that. I have, uh, lately I've put out less buckets, but mm-hmm. um, I tap only sugar maples. Um, I have a friend who's done a lot of red maples in the past, and, I mean, it makes syrup. But he has the, the technology to boil it quicker because he has reverse osmosis, which removes water and vacuum pumps to suck it out of the trees. Right. That's a big scale. Yeah. When you're doing buckets, you're not on that scale. Right. Yeah. And definitely not, uh, you know, a backyard level, backyard friendly uh, rig, unless you're, you know, that nerdy about it and you've spent a few seasons doing some syrup. So... So sugar maple identification, um, well, to start, if you don't know how to identify maples in general, uh, their buds and branches are opposite. So there's only a few trees in our forest that have opposite uh, bud and branch arrangement. That would include ash, um, but maple trees also have opposite branches. So that's kind of a starting point. I think the first thing people tend to look at when identifying any tree is the leaf, um, but usually at this time of year, when you start to think about maple syrup, the leaves are gone or yeah. they're on the ground. Yeah. So you can use the leaf. Um, you know, maples have a simple leaf. Uh, sugar maple specifically tends to have five lobes. And then um, I like to look at the edge or the margin of the leaf. And on sugar maple, it has what we call a smooth margin or a smooth edge. It doesn't have jagged teeth all over it. It just is... A very smooth edge, and then in between the lobes, you have a, a U-shape. And I think I connect that with the fact that sugar, the word sugar, has a U in it. So I kind of use uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, yeah. to help me that, remember. That helps. One of the things that you have to keep in mind is if you're looking for your trees now, you won't be identifying them by leaves. Exactly. But I tend to look down also because if you've had a leaf drop, you're going to find representative leaves of the trees around. So you can get an idea if you have sugar maples. Right. And it's if they're under the under a specific tree, chances are it's a sugar maple because they don't they some blow but not right. that, that not that much. So right. the other thing is that um sugar maple leaves in the fall will be kind of a golden yellow, whereas red maple tends to be, you know, bright red. Right. Uh, sometimes I have seen red maple leaves fall a bit prematurely, and they might be more of like an orangish-yellow color. But um, in general, too, that's a good way to tell just as the leaf color starts to turn. If you're walking through the forest and you look up, and you know it's a maple of some kind, um, but it's you know nice and bright golden in color, that's, that's usually yeah. going to be a sugar maple. And you can tell also, uh, I like to look at the, the big picture, like across a valley, mm-hmm. and if you're thinking back 60 years when we had a lot of farmland a lot of that land is now trees and it's going to be bright red yeah. it's going to be a band and that's soft maple or red maple um also if you have a piece of land that's got lots of walls in it stone walls and the trees are 12 to 15 inches in diameter probably they're soft maple 
Right. Because it takes a while for sugar maple to get established. So it depends on the history of your land also what you've got. Yeah, exactly. For sure. I do find that that soft maple or red maple tends to grow in those old pastures right. that, that were abandoned. Um, the other thing is the bark, um, although this takes kind of practice looking at many trees over and over again. But um, sugar maple bark, to me, uh, as it peels, as it matures, uh, they look very similar when they're young. But when they're older, as it matures, the, the bark tends to peel from the side, like a door hinging mm -hmm. open. Whereas on red maple, you'll see kind of a cross-hatching pattern as the, as the bark starts to break. And you'll also see bark peeling from the top and the bottom, like kind of like wallpaper is how I describe it. So... But, you know, it's best to combine some of those characteristics together because uh, there's other trees that have similar characteristics. So, um, you know, if you're trying to hone in on, on maple trees, it's definitely you want to use uh, the leaf if you can find it, uh, the bark. Even the buds are different. You know, red maple have bright red buds that are round, whereas sugar maple buds are brown, pointed. And very small. Yeah, and very small yeah. usually. So... Um, if you can see the buds, that's, I find buds to be one of the most reliable ways to identify trees, but you can't always get to them. So yeah. In early spring, you can almost see the red hue and the red maples yes. from the buds. Right. Sometimes from the ground, if you look up against the sky, if you have a nice clear blue sky, I find you can see the red buds of a red maple just down from the ground. Um, yeah, it's, it's important to know the difference because as I said before, there is a major difference in sugar content yeah right yep aptly named sugar maple yes <laughs> uh and acer saccharum is the is the latin name i also uh remembered saccharum because i think of saccharides which is sugar um and again sugar maple is, is got the higher sugar content so um we've we've learned how to identify our maple trees um and we need some materials to start tapping to start our process so um i guess yeah i guess we can go through materials and and then uh talk yeah, about the and, process and it's not too early to start because some of the things that you need you have to plan for exactly like you have to have a boiling vessel and firewood and your boiling vessel has to be on some kind of a we call it an arch whether it's cinder blocks or stones or metal with a chimney because you don't want to be in the smoke all the time. Mm -hmm. But you got to have that. That sometimes takes a while. You find somebody like myself who has been doing it a while. I've never thrown a pan out. So people can come and borrow a pan to try it. Um, I've given a couple away saying, I don't want this one back. Yeah. <laughs> this was not one I ever used, but it's something somebody gave me. You use it, and when you're ready to do something different, loan it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, buckets are simple. I agree. Uh, you can use virtually anything, the gallon plastic milk bottle. Um, one of the, probably the easiest to come by is to go to Tractor Supply and get their food grade five gallon buckets and a lid. You don't even need a lid because you can get sap lids, sap pail lids, about anywhere, um, and you get plastic tubing, 5-16 tubing, 5-16 spout or spile, and you put the spout in a, into the tube and put it into the bucket. Right. And then you don't have to hang it from the tree. It's right there. 
if you have a hillside, that's a little tricky. I did that with birch syrup, and you have to build platforms. Right, they have to be stable on something, yeah. or, you know. Yeah, because you but don't want to spill it. <laughs> it's pretty sanitary to do that, though, too. You won't get as many bugs or debris in there that right. you have to filter out because you're literally just connecting the tube right to the bucket. Yep. So that's a plus, but, yeah, you need a, a nice, secure place to, to set the bucket. Um, don't want it tipping over with all that oh, yeah. hard-earned sap in it. <laughs> right. Um, so you obviously need a drill to drill your tap hole and a hammer to tap in the spile. Um, spiles can be made of many different materials. Um, you know, I know back in the day they used to just carve them out of wood or use hollow pith wood like yeah. um, elderberry or sumac. Um, but most people today are probably using metal or plastic yeah. spiles. And if they're using wood, they're not drilling a 5 16th hole. No. <laughs> they're drilling like a... Of holes big as your thumb. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's it, it may seem crafty, but um, it's not the most practical way. Uh, but it can be done. And, um, of course, Mike mentioned you need something, some container to collect your sap in. So I agree, buckets are pretty simple, especially if you're just starting out on the backyard level. Um, and really, you don't ever need to graduate to tubing, I think, un unless you're tapping a whole lot of trees or unless, you know. I've never graduated yeah, to it. It's not really... Uh, something that that ever needs to be done unless you're trying to you know tap a whole hillside of something um uh, and then you need if you're not boiling uh, uh every night or you know like for instance i know mike you tap throughout the neighborhood of, of margaretville yeah. and so it's easier to have a larger container that you dump all your sap into um as like a bulk yep. tank a bulk yep. container um, and that can also help if you're not boiling every day because then you can kind of collect some sap for a few days and then, you know, have one night or one evening afternoon that you're boiling um, from that bulk tank. And um, you can just keep that, you know, in a cool place, I think. Yeah, you it definitely just... has to be kept cool because yes. with sugar in it, it will spoil. Right. Um, I actually graduated from a big tank. I had a big tank that I pumped sap into from my truck and... Um, I had trouble keeping it clean. So since I've downsized over the last few years, I use milk cans. Mm -hmm. um, I have seven milk cans, and I have a cart that hauls the milk can around. And I go out, and I go right to my trees, and I collect it. So I come back with 10 gallons of sap at a time. And one of the things that I've found is nice about that is I can cut back on some of my delivery system issues i had pump problems and you know you leave a valve open and you end up with stuff spilled all over mm -hmm. so i've simplified this past season i did 57 taps and i made 20 gallons of syrup which was a little over what the accepted ratio is of sap to syrup mm -hmm. they figure a quart per tap under average conditions so i made 80 quarts from 57 taps. Yeah. And that's pretty good. But that's, I use sugar maple and I have what we call village trees. Yeah. So that leads us to kind of, um, we're uh, getting into what trees, how do you know which trees you should tap? So you've identified sugar maple trees, but um, not all trees are equal when it comes to uh, sap production and, and sugar content in the sap specifically. So. Uh, village trees are the best, or open-grown trees, yeah. as we call them, because they're they are open-grown. They have um, room to spread their branches. They haven't grown up uh, competing with other trees, 
So they typically have um, a high live crown ratio. So that's kind of just like a, a forestry or arboriculture term to mean that the proportion of the total height of the tree that's live leaves crown um, is most of that height. So um, the more foliage you have on the tree, the more that tree is able to photosynthesize throughout the season. Mm -hmm. And then theoretically, that should translate to a higher sugar content. Um, theoretically the theoretically yeah. yeah that's not yeah. always the case um and there's other stressors on trees as well so that can impact their their um production of sugars and and food for themselves but but in general that's kind of um a, a good rule of thumb yeah yeah the yeah the bigger the top the nicer the tree is to use right i've got this one tree that is behind the our neighbor neighbor church and i look up over the church and there's this crown that's just huge mm. and that produces sap at a rate of 2.4 2.5 percent every year no matter what the other trees are doing mm -hmm. and it's because of that crown yeah and two percent is considered average right so that's the percent of, of sugar, sugar content in, in the, the sap. sap yes and if you're getting better than that that's why you're getting more quartz per tap than right but forest trees might be, you know, 1.7, yeah, exactly. 1.8 or yeah. something like that. Um, so I think most people throw around the ratio 40 to 1, but forest trees might be more like 42 to 45 to 1 in or some 60. cases. Yeah, or some, 60. Or 60. Yeah, they're down there. <laughs> if they're really bad, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, you can still tap forest trees for, sh for sure. Um, you know, most people, I would say, you know, unless they have some uh, a residential lot or, or they're out where... You know, an old farmer had planted usually a row of nice big sugar maple trees that had an, an open grown life. Um, you're probably tapping some forest trees, yep. um, which is fine. Um, but you want to identify the ones that, you know, have the good live crown ratios that are in relatively good health. Um, you know, best management practices or best tapping practices for uh, maple syrup is about, I think it's like 12 inches or above in diameter. Yeah, with the, with the smaller spiles, the 516 spiles, you can go down a little lower. Yeah, to 10, I think. Yeah, or, yeah. and that, that makes a big difference because if you're culturing trees like I have in my yard, you tap them maybe 10 years earlier. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's... Uh, it, you just have to be careful, and I've learned over the years to not overtap. I used to overtap, but that's something you learn, and that you make your corrections, mm -hmm. and things are better for it when you do. Yeah, yeah. I know um, Ryan, for example. I I know he's uh, throughout the years at, at his property kind of honed in on which trees are have the highest sugar content and that's through trial and error through yeah. year after year tapping and different testing. trees and, te and testing and testing right yeah. um you know using a, a refractometer you can um you know put a little bit of the the sap from uh from a tree and it you know reflects with the light and it can tell you the sugar content of that sap um, yeah and one of the, I I didn't use a refractometer for a long time. I used a sap hydrometer, that, yeah. which measures density by how it floats. But a refractometer, they're they're getting so they're very reasonable in price. You can get a refractometer for twenty bucks. Yep, and it doesn't break when you drop it like a, exactly <laughs> a hydrometer tube does. Yeah, let's talk about firewood because I know that's 
I feel like that's maybe um, one of the most important uh, or not important, but uh, the most unfamiliar part of the process maybe for people who didn't grow up in a rural area or are not familiar with firewood or species of trees and how they burn and, you know, all of those details. So um, what what species do you tend to use for um, your sapwood? I have chose my species of choice the last 15 years has been quaking aspen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the stuff that's turning yellow right now. And the leaves flop in the breeze. And it's because the stems are flat. So it flops. And that's what's all over Colorado and places. Haven't but, heard flops. <laughs> you know, they quake. How about they quake. That? They yeah. quake. But they flop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is a very lightweight wood. It holds a lot of water. So when you cut it, you've got to split it small and get it stacked and covered. And I stack mine on pallets and I cover the very top of the pile. I don't cover the sides. I put it perpendicular to the direction of the wind so that the wind blows through the pile. Um, actually, when I've fresh cut some stuff like what I'm doing right now, I'll stack it in my backyard, and every time I walk by, I smell drying aspen. Mm. You smell that water coming off of it, and it really dries nice. Nice. And it yeah. burns real hot. It's not quite match light. You got to start it with something, but it burns real hot. It doesn't make coals, and coals tend to slow down the boil. They're hot, but they're f- for keeping your house warm. They're not for making maple syrup. Right, and you don't want to use your nicest firewood to be boiling your sap. You want to save that, you know, like your oak and your maple, um, saving that for heating your home versus right. boiling. They just don't, and they don't. I think the they function big, differently. They function yeah. differently. The big maple producers that burn wood can burn about anything mm-hmm. but on a small scale you got to get that fire hot yeah I, it maybe one of the best ways to think about it is if you don't have flames coming out of the top of your stovepipe you haven't got a hot enough fire yeah yeah <laughs> and that's i that's something i've always strive for right do you use uh soft whatever or does do you find that you know it gets makes a mess or um, uh, I, I used to try scotch pine because that's what I have on my property, but I had a real hard time getting that to burn as hot as anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get slab wood from a sawmill. Uh, it's best to get a hardwood and split it small and cover it real well. And if you're using hardwood, you've got to do it like a year ahead instead exactly, of yeah. a couple months. The, the aspen just tends to dry so well that um, once it's split and covered... It's only a few months. And what about ash? Have you used ash? Because I know ash is pretty um, brittle already as a as a live standing tree, so it yeah. doesn't usually take too long to to cure anyway. But I haven't used ash much, mm-hmm. only because that's one of my housewoods, mm-hmm. and uh, my housewood doesn't go in the maple syrup evaporator because right. <laughs> that, that's that's that makes sense that's yeah. money in the bank for exactly. oil purposes yeah i just yeah. know a lot of people now um you know with emerald ash borer and they're finding different ways to use uh ash in the in their daily lives whether it's firewood or using it for something else um so if you do have a lot of ash in your property it might be worth giving yeah. it a try and, and again split it small exactly yeah. um because you've got to get it dry that's a big thing. And then you got to have surface area for it to catch fire. Right. Yeah. 
And any tips for people who maybe, because I know you don't necessarily own um, right in town. You don't have forest, at least, and you don't always get uh, maybe wood from trees that you own or, you know, yeah. tips for finding wood when you don't have uh, a forest to harvest from. Well, th- I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do. You can use scrap lumber. Uh, that's kiln dried. That burns really good. Nobody wants aspen. Right. So if you are going along the road somewhere and so, a town highway or somebody has cut down aspen trees and it's a greenish gray bark that's really smooth, uh, you can just stop and ask and they'll say, yeah, take it. I don't want it. Right. What am I going to do with that stuff? Yeah. Uh, where if you live out west where that's the only wood you got, that's what you burn in your house. Um, Pallets would work if you have a supply of pallets. You got to cut them up. You're going to have nails in the in the ash, but they work good. They're they're hardwoods. They're dried. Um, that's kind of key. And just if someone has a tree on their yard that's got broken branches, take the branches. You know, even maple branches if they're the, the small twigs and things. If you mm-hmm. have them, and on a small scale, if you're just starting out. That's all you really need is just to collect stuff. Yeah. My neighbor lady, when I was a little kid, just up the street from here, actually, she had us four boys in our family. We kept busy picking up her sticks for her maple syrup. Mm -hmm. And she measured her syrup for the year in pints. She'd make 10 or 12 pints. Yeah. So she was burning on a very small scale, but she always had maple syrup and it always impressed us. (laughs) <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be, uh, that just reminded me to, to mention some people, you know, figure, okay, I'm going to forego the, the, the wood and just burn inside or burn using propane or something right. like that. And, um, I just think it's, well, for one, you're going to be using a lot, a lot, a lot of fuel yes, and it's going to be very expensive. Um, I don't think some people when they're first starting out, maybe they don't realize how long they're going to have to boil. Right. The other thing is boiling it inside is um, going to create a lot of steam. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, people say it takes the wallpaper off. That's not as big an issue today because there aren't many places with wallpaper. Yeah. But it does make stuff pretty sticky. Yeah. You know, just humid. Yeah. And if you have a problem with humidity anyway, you might better not exacerbate it. Yeah, exactly. boiling sap. I think it's important to realize if you want to make a gallon of syrup, you've got to boil away roughly 40 gallons of water mm-hmm. and if or you, more or it, more yeah. yeah so i mean that's in itself should be a good reason not to do it in the house just think of dumping 40 gallons of water into the air in your house yeah exactly yeah. um however you do uh you know i think it's a good idea to maybe finish your syrup yeah it's super more in the house yeah. yeah on a more controlled yeah. environment uh, where you know you won't burn it um, especially in that ripping hot yeah. pan where you've got yeah. flames coming out of your stove. I've actually graduated from that also. I finish right on my evaporator. Yeah. So, uh, but I've, I've done it long enough. I know just exactly when to start. I start before it's d- done. And by the time I've got my batch drawn off, it's finished. Mm-hmm. And we check it when we can it and it's always just right. So, you, I mean, you can evolve into being a little less careful. Right. It's careful, but it's not the same level. 
Yeah. And we jumped ahead a little bit. I guess we're talking about evaporating, but to actually tap your trees, um, let's talk about how to do that. So we talked about which trees, how to pick which trees to tap, um, you know, more open grown live crown ratio is high. Um, when should you tap? Well, that's around here. It could be many different times a year, actually, but, uh, it's generally when the, uh, nighttime temperatures are freezing and the daytime temperatures are above freezing. So right. thawing. Right. So that's, what's going to initiate that pump of sap flow in the tree. Um, and so that can actually happen, although, you know, I don't recommend tapping at this time, but that, that, those conditions can happen in November or December. Right. In and the Catskills. Historically, um, the sugar content's a little lower. Right. With fall tapping. Yeah. As long as there's no leaves on the trees and the sap, or the temperatures are the alternating freezing and thawing, it'll run. Right. But it's not as good in the fall. Yeah. Um, and I think most people, especially, um, larger maple producers around here, which, um, are still considered maybe small compared to something like Canada, but, uh, they tap maybe around mid February, uh, mid to late February, would you say? Yeah, probably. They might start tapping earlier, mm -hmm. but they're using enclosed pipeline systems. So right. they don't have any healing going on yeah. in the tree. So they could, and they, if they're doing 10,000 taps, they have to start early because right. manpower issues. Yeah. But they're not going to get a run until the conditions are right. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to tap exactly when conditions are right. You can tap, you know, a little bit early or around yeah. if you're looking at the 10-day or 14-day forecast and you say it looks like, you know, for the next two weeks, most of the days should be in a freezing thawing cycle. Um, you can still tap yeah. uh, during that time. And um, if it doesn't run, you get a day off. Yeah, <laughs> there if you it, go. If it gets really good. You work hard. Right. Um, yeah. I equate it to the pothole season. Mm -hmm. When you start seeing the potholes in the road, you know it's <laughs> maple season. So there's you know, little thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just little things that go right along with that exact same weather condition. Mm -hmm. And the freezing thaw in the roads makes potholes. So it works to identify it that way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so... Um, we also touched on the diameter, so, you know, if you're using the 5 sixteenths hole, you can kind of get away with uh, maybe a, the smallest 10-inch diameter tree yeah. or so, but ideally, you know, 10 to 14 inches or above. Um, and I have seen people, you know, putting three or four <laughs> buckets on one tree, um, but usually we don't recommend, or, you know, in general, guidelines don't recommend more than two buckets right. on a, a larger size yeah, tree. Even, this is... Uh, and this is where I've changed. Mm -hmm. I used to have trees. Oh, well, I had trees that were almost two feet in diameter, and I would put three buckets on them, mm -hmm. and maybe sometimes four. Which the trees are gone now. I, they they died because of a combination of road salt and caterpillars. But um, I don't think they can tolerate that. And I don't think you get. Uh, it's not like you're getting four full to the no. brim buckets of sap no. either. No, you're not. Um, so, you know, I think Cornell has some research on this if anybody's interested in, in looking at the actual numbers. But even two buckets, I think you don't, you'll, you maybe only get 30% more right. sap than yeah. you would have with just one. Yeah. So, um, and this is for trees at least, you know, 18 inches in diameter or above. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for every six inches in diameter, you can, you know, 
theoretically add a bucket. But again, two buckets yeah. probably is the max. I, this past year, I tapped six trees I'd never that had never been tapped that I know of. Um, I put one bucket on each tree. They were all probably eighteen to twenty inches. They were village trees, and I had to walk a ways to get them because they weren't right around the house. So I'd take my milk can and walk down the street. Everybody look at me like <laughs> I've seen bag ladies before, but never milk can people. <laughs> and I was gathering nearly twenty gallons a day from those six buckets. Wow! Yeah, it was it was really incredible. So you don't need to put a lot of taps out. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um I don't know, maybe if you're just starting out, I would say maybe five trees or less, you know, or, or maybe even just a couple trees. Yeah, maybe well, you you just want, yeah. I guess it depends on, you it know. Depends on what you have to boil. Exactly, in. yeah. Um, I had a pan, I'll just share this, it was um, 24 by 29 inches, and I could burn sap, and I could make syrup in 10 hours. From that, it was about four or five gallons an hour. I boiled the wet. Mm-hmm. My present evaporator, when it's going right, which pretty much it does all the time because I've done it enough, that'll produce uh, syrup every two hours, about three quarts. That's burning sixty or thirteen gallons an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have to put time in, and you still have to. Wait for it to get ready. It'll never be ready before it's time. It'll always be just sugar water until it reaches the proper concentration. Yeah. And when you're tapping, uh, you want to go at least a couple of inches into the uh, into the sapwood of the tree. So two inches. Yeah. um, You know, some of these larger diameter trees uh, might have you know, quite a thick bark layer that you need to penetrate um, because the bark is not conducting any sap. You're not going to get any sap out of that if you don't go past the bark layer, which can be, I don't know, half inch or so in some trees and um, with with pretty thick peeling bark. Um, And then when you're drilling in, um, you don't want to see brown or even, you know, dark colored chips coming out because no. then you've hit in into dead wood most likely or right. wounded wood inside the tree um or rot and that's also not going to be you know conductive it's not going to have sap flow no. if you don't get nice we'll call it white wood, white yeah white wood chips um and you'll know when you're in it because the drill will pop out these little strings of yeah this really white wood if you hit something that's not white Probably your best bet is to abandon that spot, pull the drill out, and go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, the tree will grow over it eventually. Uh, all of those holes you make in the tree remain there. They just have new growth over top of it. Right. Yeah. So you're not gonna you're not gonna hurt it in the long run by making a mistake like that. Yeah. You. you and trees compartmentalize, so they kind of. Um like you said, they grow new tissue around their wounds rather than healing wounded tissue. So like we do um, with our skin. But yeah, I mean, if it's usually you can kind of tell a spot on a tree is going to, if you tap into it, it's going to be dead because you can, there's signs on the outside of the tree that correspond with that area of wounding. They'll usually be swelling or there might even just be 
you know, bark flaking off or, or obvious signs. Some kind of um, crease, maybe. A crease, yeah. yep. Uh, where, you know, two stems maybe grew up together. And um, so those areas you just kind of want to avoid. And then um, you can shift around the tree if you're comfortable thinking like, okay, if I, you know, go to the other side of the tree and it's not wounded over there. Yeah. Um, but if you're not sure, yeah, just, I would say just find a new spot. Yeah. And, uh, cause you know, the, the wound can be hard to tell how far it goes right. um, without actually looking inside the tree, you know, and once you look inside the tree, it's firewood. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so. done. Um, and then, uh, when you're for subsequent years, I know, Mike, maybe you don't follow uh, as precise of a system when you're you just kind of go around the tree year after year. But I think um, it's recommended to go at least eight inches uh, vertical, so above that old tap hole, and then three inches um, to the one side or the other yeah. horizontal. Yeah, and so yeah, it'll kind of produce like a zigzag around the tree year after year, and that can kind of because once you create that tap hole. Um, throughout the season, that tree, like we mentioned, is going to be tr sealing up that hole. And the the wounded wood can extend several inches above and below that tap hole. Right. So you don't want to tap into that the following year. Yeah, um, that's some of that brown wood. Right. Yeah. So, um, but by the time you make it around the tree, if it's, you know, a sizable tree, that it'll have put on enough... Um, you know, again, theoretically, it would have put on enough diameter new wood that once you get back to that spot and you tap into it yep. again, you should be able right. to tap into sapwood. So uh, I know a lot of big maple producers do it that way. They kind of have systems. Yeah. Um, yeah and what, it, what's interesting, if you cut a sugar maple and mill it on a sawmill and you cut through tap holes, you can get a real good idea of the staining and the poor sap levels in it because that brown stain will run above and below the hole and the hole is going to be there yeah even though it might have healed over right so, and it can be pretty cool actually i mean people oh, make it's furniture it's wood. beautiful i love it yeah um you just have a hole in it yeah <laughs> but uh we we were at a, a another member's property um a few weeks ago and he had a, a maple tree that had been recently uh, had to be removed for um hazardous reasons but um, the very, very low in the stump, I mean, not even a foot, um, there was a tap hole. Really? Really low huh. at the base of the tree. So, I mean, it could have been, you know, uh, I don't know. That could have been... Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe somebody just wanted to change the, elevate, the level that they tapped at. Right. And, you know, some people, um, you know, early on, although I don't know how old this tree was, I didn't count the rings, uh, maybe at least a uh, hundred years or 200 yeah. years or so. Um, yeah, obviously somebody tapped and maybe put a container right on the ground right. and, and, um, you know, but that was pretty cool. But yeah, you can see those, those tap holes in there. If you can get a nice slab of wood from, uh, one of those old sugar bush trees, um, it could be pretty beautiful. Oh, it can. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, uh, Evaporation, um, we've kind of touched on it a bit, but there's kind of a lot of different ways you can set up a DIY backyard scale evaporation setup. Right. <clears throat> so I think, um, you know, you can go, the, the absolute most basic would be like some sort of um, flat metal pan over a fire that's, you know, in some way you can rest it over the fire, but right. you don't really want the smoke to be 
kind of infusing into your syrup as the fire is burning. Um, it's not going to really taste like that maple syrup product you know and love <laughs> at yeah. the end of that process. Um, so I think, you know, it's a good idea to have some way uh, to direct the smoke away from the fire. And that can literally just be as simple as buying some some stovepipe and, you know, trying to using some cinder blocks or some right. mechanism to um, contain the fire and creating that upward vacuum to take the smoke away from your your pan. Yeah. You know, actually, when we were at one point in, our, in my career of it, we were getting some smoky syrup. It wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. It was uh, maybe it's like this uh, the hickory yeah. syrup. You know, it's it's infused with just a little hint of smoke, and it wasn't bad. But it's not maple syrup. That's right. It's it's going to be different. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe a step up from that, um, which, you know, I'd re I don't recommend going. You have like a pretty nice evaporator yeah. and and you don't need to go out and buy, you know, the absolute nicest, you know, equipment you can find. But um, sto barrel stove kits are fairly popular, yes. fairly inexpensive. You might even be able to find a used one or right. make one yourself even without, you know, buying the kit. But you can find the kit, which just comes with um, you need the barrel, but. It comes with a little stove door and maybe some feet to set yeah. a 55-gallon yeah. drum on. Thimble for the chimney. Yep. Um, and you can kind of just solder those in place. And um, you've got yourself a little barrel stove outside. Um, and then you can cut an area to set your pans into. So these are like metal restaurant pans. Right. You know, something that has a high surface area um, to evaporate on. And then, um, yeah. Have your fire right in that stove there, and, and it's it's pretty simple, pretty effective, though. It is, and it's, um, you know, when you're starting out, one of the things that I think people may tend to do, they might over-tap, they might put 10 buckets out when they, when if you have 10 buckets out, you can get 30 gallons of sap in a day, mm -hmm. and if you have 30 gallons of sap, you really should boil it right away if you can. Yeah. And if you don't have a pan that's going to boil that away in a reasonable amount of time, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of know what your boiling rate will be, which you have to try it to know, and then adjust the number of taps you have. Yeah. And I would definitely err on the side that, holy cow, I've got to have a good run and I'm going to be inundated. Yeah, less is, less is better at the beginning because you want to also get a feel for the process, uh, make sure you understand all the steps, and also make sure you enjoy it. Right. Because, you know, if, if it's one thing, if you really enjoy it, if you really like sitting out by the fire into the late night hours, boiling your sap away, um, you know, that's one thing. But um, if you find, you know, you're like, I want to go to bed, I'm not... Right. <laughs> I'm tired, you know, I've carried all these buckets of sap everywhere. You don't have much help, you know, maybe you only tap a few trees. Um, yeah. But you don't know until you'll try, so it's right. better to start with, you know, a yeah, smaller amount. small yeah. and work up. Right. Yep. I have a friend who started with one of my pans years ago, and he recently said, how do you know when to stop? <laughs> he's now got a commercial business where he's, tapping 8,000 taps wow. and he's still saying how do you know when to stop when you stop having fun I yeah, guess when you stop having fun or when it becomes more than you can handle right so yeah it, it, you have to make syrup within your means I think is the best way to put it yeah yeah and that's great 
thing about maple syrup and, and most forest farming things. You can scale them to your needs. Right. You don't have to, you know, have this giant warehouse full of barrels and barrels of maple syrup. I mean, not that that's possible anyway, by yeah. with just without having a whole facility. But, you know, there's a spectrum. There's that extreme end where, you know, that's what's going on in, in Canada. And then there's, you know, somewhere in between. Um, and then there's just the backyard where it's, you right. know, you're just making enough syrup yeah. for your family, maybe your friends. Um, but it can be pretty small. You don't even need to make, you know, a year's supply of maple syrup. You can yeah. make just a quart or something. Right. And, and just And you can do that on a really small scale. Yeah. Which and is nice. Yeah. You can even drink the sap if you're not, yeah. you know, ready to, to make the syrup or, you know, if, if you find you don't have enough time to prepare, but you still want to get the feel for some of the process. Um, yeah, you can just drink the sap. It's... Pretty tasty. It is pretty nutritious. Yep. Yep. Cornell actually bottles it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen maple yeah. water or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah I, it's going to be the the, the new, uh, I don't know, organic Gatorade or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you're, to talk about the more technical points of, of boiling, um, you need to know the boiling point of your specific site. Yes. So elevation can change this. Air pressure um, can change. Air, pres- air pressure. Um, and I've heard, you know, recommended to do this daily with just some water or every day that you're going to boil sap yeah. um, with a pot of water on your stove. You know, take the temperature that, that that water is boiling at and then maybe add seven or eight degrees to that. And that'll be your finished syrup temperature. Yeah, about um, seven and a half degrees. Yes. If you're using a thermometer. And a candy thermometer works. You Mm -hmm. just have to boil water. I used to use a candy thermometer. And you boil water and add seven and a half degrees. And, it's you know, the scale is kind of tight, but you can can come pretty close. Then you take it in the house and really finish it off. Uh, If you use a hydrometer, you don't have to worry about that so much because the hydrometer is strictly density. And refractometer is sugar concentration in the way it impacts the light so you don't have to worry about the temperature but if you use the thermometer you do yeah if you take off syrup and call it good because you know water boils at 212 and you take it to 212 plus seven and a half you're going to end up with sugar crystals in your super saturated syrup yeah and you're going to have wasted a lot of time and wasted a lot of syrup Mm -hmm. because it's going to crystallize right in your jars (laughs) Yeah, so you want to avoid that. I mean, this also, I think, takes some trial and error as well, knowing. um, Because I've heard, you know, uh, like, for example, Ryan or John might recommend closer to 8, adding 8 degrees wherever they, since, you know, in their experience, in their locations, in their properties, that's what they've, um, you know, learned to be the best. But, you know, where you are, it's different. So, um, you know, start start from somewhere and then work from there. And hopefully you don't ruin too much yeah, syrup. Yeah, right. <laughs> Interestingly, birch syrup doesn't behave the same as maple syrup. Mm. So, and there's no like universal criteria for what is stable. Huh. So, in western Canada, they take it to 72 bricks, which is pretty thick. Yeah. Russia, they take it to 68, 67. And it's it's acceptable because there's no standard. And mm-hmm. one of the things that the birch producers were really interested in was keeping it so there's no standards because they don't want to 
they they have people that cater to that take their product the way it is. Yeah. So, but if you don't do maple syrup to what, sixty-seven bricks, which is sixty-seven percent sugar, roughly, it's either going to spoil or crystallize mm-hmm. if it's not right. It'll yep. spoil because it's not high enough sugar concentrate. It'll crystallize if it's super saturated. Yeah. So, you have to be very specific. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I guess, packaging your syrup. I mean, if you're just doing backyard maple syrup, you don't really need to be too concerned about this. As long as it's something that is um, that would handle heat well, you want to pour it into whatever container you're using while it's hot. Yep. Um, mason jars work pretty well yep. for this. Um, they work excellent. Yeah, and they're pretty accessible. You know, you can most people already have a few extra on hand. Um, but you do want it to be hot. You don't want it to be too hot. You don't want it to be actively, you know, boiling. And, and yeah. But um, hot enough that when you pour it into the jar, it'll kind of help to sterilize that jar. And you can, right. I think Ryan even turns his jars upside down. Uh, maybe that's just, you know, his own. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. With the plastic jugs, you do that. Yeah. Just to have the plastic seal inside. Where yeah. If you're using plastic containers, I believe they have to be coated. Because if they're not coated, they're porous. Um, and that can kind of shorten the shelf life of your yeah. syrup. So, yeah. And then you've got maple syrup to enjoy and, right. and savor. And, and <laughs> Once it's sealed, you can store it an indefinite amount of time. Yeah. When you open it, you got to refrigerate it. Got to use it, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Any other... We got a, a couple minutes left. Any other tips or tricks or things that we, we didn't mention or favorite... Ways to use maple syrup? <laughs> oh, I, I like to make uh, maple-coated walnuts. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That is. And I've got a my own recipe. That it's pretty much what anybody would do. But I use a th- syrup thermometer. I heat the syrup to hard sugar stage. I heat the walnuts to 250 degrees in the oven. Mm-hmm. Take them out of the oven pour the hot syrup on it when it reaches that point and just stir. And the sugar crystallizes as the little bit of water remaining comes out. And you just keep stirring till the sugar is all hard. Mm. And man, are they good. Oh, that sounds good. Those uh, are some of my favorite treats is, is yeah. uh, maple walnuts or maple nuts at all. Yeah. Um, that's a good idea. My wife likes maple teenies, I'll say it. Um, and this is actually not with the finished syrup, but when we're in the sap house boiling, she'll dip a little of the processing sap out, which is almost syrup, put it in a glass, add vanilla seltzer, and a little bit of vodka. I don't drink, so I never <laughs> tasted it. But the other, I've had them. They're they're pretty they're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I we had 14 people there one day, and I'm trying to boil, and they're all having maple teenies, and I'm giving away my syrup. I said, like, what are you doing? Don't drink all my syrup up. But yeah, those are two favorites. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I've def- I've had Becky's maple teenies and they're they're pretty good. She should uh get a copyright on those that <laughs> recipe or something. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been from the forest. Our tonight's topic was uh backyard maple syrup production uh with CFA's board president Mike Porter and that's all for tonight. And Contact Zara if you're interested. Yes, so contact uh, if you if you would like, uh, you can visit um, Catskill Forest Association's website and uh, get more information about the forest farming program.
All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for having me. Yep. Good night. We're flashing and the icy wind did blow The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow His eyes were red, his hopes were dead and the wine was running low And the old man came home from the forest His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street Stop to stare 